Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. Dmitry Gurin is a Ukraine member of parliament from Mariupol. We've spoken with Mr. Gurin previously. He's back with us on The Roy Green Show from Ukraine. Mr. Gurin, how are you and how is the city of Mariupol today? Hello. The city in Mar- of Mariupol is uh, still in the siege. Uh, it's humanitarian catastrophe in the city. There are still 150,000 people there without uh, electricity, water, gas, and first of all, without food and drinking water. The hunger broke out in Mariupol. It's uh, already a week ago, and uh, it's a real disaster. Now, and I'm very sorry to hear that. And you've told us in the past, I mean, this is your home city. You've told us that you, the house that you lived in, the school that you attended, all gone. And and the people who are remaining in Mariupol, as you just described, are living through a disastrous experience. But we're also hearing that the Russians are backing off from Kiev. Is that happening? And, and, and why do you suppose they are doing that? Uh, yes, they're, they're really happening. And, uh, uh, they, you know... Under threat of uh, complete encirclement on the eve of the rainy season, the Russian army was forced to withdraw from Kyiv. While leaving, they looted apartments and houses in the suburbs of Kyiv, Erpany and Bucha. And uh, uh, the video showed the Russian military trying to send household items by mail from the territory of Belarus. We have this video, and in the post office, there is a queue of Russian military. And uh, okay, history first hand. My friend's uncle from Europe said that Russian soldiers simply went in the apartment, ignoring their presence, opened all the closets, took away the bed lining, and for some reason removed the door handles between the rooms. They checked their documents, found an American visa in the uncle's passport. They declared him a spy, tied him up, put him in the kitchen, closed the door, and shot him through the door one by one. The door, you know, but it like a shield, it worked. And uh, for some reason, my uncle, uh, your uncle didn't get anything. But the Russian soldiers, they lost. They said they were not executed twice under the laws of war and uh, left with bed linings and, and door knobs. The story is both shocking and uh, completely absurd. God, don't they have a door handles? I just can't imagine it. Yeah. And the streets yeah. of Bucha now are littered with the bodies of killed civilians. They are absolutely horrible shots. And a large number of murdered men have their hands tied. You know, they killed just men from 18 to 60. And some bodies are mined. And in general, everything is very densely mined. Doors to entrances, garbage or the road, roadsides, even doors and furniture and looted apartments. Ukraine society has already seen Mariupol, so it has seen almost everything. But Ukrainian society is absolutely shocked by the photos from Bucha today. This is something totally incredible. Yeah. You know, on social networks, Ukrainians call Russian soldiers orcs now. These orcs, they have left the bodies of the fallen soldiers. Hundreds of them in these large areas, they just lie on the ground. These troops are moving in. But now these troops are moving in the direction of Sumy and Donbass, in the, uh, also in the eastern directions. And in propaganda videos in, on uh, TV in Russia, they, were, they began to call a special operation in Donbass, not a special operation in Ukraine. So the battle for Kyiv was completely lost by Russia. And Kyiv region today, by the messages of, uh, from our Minister of Defense, is completely cleansed 
of occupiers. And it was with your help. And we saw that with your help, that the Russian army could be beaten. And all the talks about the second strongest army in the world is total fake. And uh, our Ukrainian heroes, they need more weapons. And uh, we are able to defend freedom and democracy in the world. And uh, we can make that uh, this war will be on Ukraine, not on the old European continent. Your military has done magnificently well against uh, the Russians, who, as you say, they were supposed to be uh, the second most powerful military in the world. Apparently, that's not the case. Now, we did have Ukraine members of parliament here in Canada speaking with our prime minister and ministers of the federal government looking for funding and assistance in getting additional weapons. Mr. Uh, Gorin, what does Ukraine need? What does your military require? The first of all is air defense and uh, missile defense. Uh, and uh, now it's also armed weapons like tanks uh, because we understand we can beat them out of Ukraine and really finish this war. And uh, this war can, uh, you know, can be stable on Ukrainian territory. It's a, a very important time at a significant, extremely significant development with the Pope's apology. Joining us is Chief Cadmus Delorme of Cowess's First Nation in Saskatchewan. Uh, the Pope having said, I ask for God's forgiveness. This following, of course, the First Nations, Métis and Inuit delegation meetings at the Vatican. Chief Delorme, good to speak with you again. What does this mean to you as a young First Nations chief? Good afternoon, Roy and everybody else. I, it, It's it's truth and reconciliation calls to action number 58 for this country. Uh, I'm a spokesperson. I'm not a residential school survivor. So I'm, I'm going to speak as a spokesperson because I want to respect residential school survivors because this has been a triggering time since the unmarked grave to now this. And, and please, let's, let's do everything to, to lift their spirits. So Roy, as a, as a spokesperson, uh, this is, a move in the right direction. Um, we have Indigenous people in this country that um, have had validation of pain, frustration, anger, tiredness of trying to remain Indigenous in the country that still somewhat oppresses. We got proud Canadians, my Canadian friends and family who are uh, shield is down, admitting I don't know the truth uh, between Indigenous people in Canada with the Pope apologizing. It, it shows that this country has a moment to get it right this time. So I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. I, I watched the delegation from, from here at Cowesis, and I look forward to the Pope coming to our shared land so that we could um, hear an apology and have action uh, together as Canada and Indigenous people to assure this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Chief, uh, have you heard from members of your community who were directly affected by residential schools? And what have they said to you about the Pope's apology? Uh, yes, uh, it's mixed. Uh, I'm going to be shields down. I'm going to be very open. Some um, some are angry. They're frustrated. They're, they, they, an apology isn't far enough. You know, the, the, the unmarked graves um, opened up um, a very deep, deep-rooted pain. Uh, the sexual, physical, mental abuse that that we are just learning about is 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 it was packed away in their heart, in their in their 
you know, where, where memories you don't want to bring up again. And so with the Pope, you know, coming forward, it, it has been triggering. Some are welcoming it. Some, uh, it's not good enough. And so we got to understand as we move forward in reconciliation, uncomfortable conversations have to happen and we have to remain open-minded as Canadians to the amount of triggering that this has been going on for residential school survivors. You know, the thought that I had, uh, and it stayed with me since I first heard of the Pope's apology, and I was hoping that he would, the thought that I've had that's just been constantly there is we have to remember this happened to children. This happened to kids. This happened to children who had no defense, who had no way of protecting themselves. This happened to children, and the greatest and most sacred responsibility we have as a society is to take care of our very young and our very old. That's right, Roy. The um, It's children. You know, in our Charter of Rights and Freedom in this country, uh, we want vertical lineage. We, we want in this country that grandma will pass it down to mom, mom will pass it down to daughter, daughter will pass it down to granddaughter. Unfortunately, in this country, under a charter, well, under a constitution that we all, you know, use as a, as a, as a developed country, that didn't happen to every uh, person in this country at one time. Indigenous people, that is where we have to understand that vertical lineage was broken. Children were removed. Our own systems at one time were in favor of this. And yes, we inherited this. But when you inherit something, you have a responsibility to do something about it. We have to invest in to make sure vertical lineage happens and is strengthened for every Indigenous family in this country. As Canadians, that is should be our obligation in one to two generations. Chief Alorm, if uh, the Pope comes to Canada this year, and, and we hope he does, what is your sense of what the Pope needs to do, must do, in order to continue on this path of reconciliation, which he's clearly decided the church needs to uh, needs to follow, there are many faith goers in this country and and around the world that um, um, you know the Pope speaks for in the faith perspective. In this country, you know, where do we see us in fifty years? And we have to understand an apology is is emotional. An apology is, is spiritual. An apology uh, is mentally impactful. But we got to understand there's investment needed as well. And across this country, there are bishops, and they represent certain regions. We need to be immediately in our areas working with our bishop to understand, you know, what impact could be made in that region. And when the Pope does come and an apology most likely is given, that we are ready in our regions, not just Indigenous people, but Canadians, to be ready to prepare for the apology and to make impact. It, it is resources, but it's not just resources. It's being open-minded about it, not, not having that ignorance or accidental racism. And I don't mean that in a bad way. We, we all kind of kind of got taught about the truth of Indigenous people in this country. So now it's our, our time to, to step up 
the real truth. So that that would be my recommendation at this time is let's prepare in regions because one cookie cutter across this country ain't going to happen. But let's make sure it's impactful with the apology to come with action. Heather Exner-Piro, PhD, Senior Policy Analyst at the McDonald-Laurier Institute. Uh, she is also an expert in Indigenous economic and resource development, particularly in the North and the Arctic. And uh, Dr. Exner-Piro has presented and chaired at 75 conferences nationally and internationally. Dr. Exner-Piro, thank you very much for the time. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you with us. So I, I was reading the piece that you uh, wrote for MLI. It also appeared in the Vancouver Sun. Eliminating fossil fuels will complicate energy security, not solve it. And uh, if I have this correctly, you're saying that the elimination of fossil fuels will significantly complicate the energy security and that the low-carbon energy transition is going to require shifting from the extraction of fossil fuels to the extraction of metals and is very material-intensive. Do I have that correctly? And if I do, please carry on with the thought. Well, you do have it correctly, and it's not an excuse to not move to a low-carbon uh, you know, future. We need to have this transition. But it's just to explain that once moved from fossil fuels to renewables uh, to nuclear, uh, you know, hydro, wind, solar, uh, that's not going to take away our, our security risk. It's not going to remove the power of the Russians and the Irans of the world. Uh, it's going to, you know, increase the power of, you know, some of the countries that have copper, nickel, lithium in huge quantities. And in fact, because we need more critical minerals, you know, to meet the renewables, um, there'll be more complication. Oil and gas is found in just about every region. Just about every region has very good refining, processing capacity. But a lot of these minerals are, are basically monopolies uh, with, you know, just one or two or three countries, you know, ex- exploiting them uh, in, in, in some kind of um, scale. And so it's not to say we shouldn't move to low carbon, but we're going to have a whole host of different energy security, uh, you know, problems when we do. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, I mean, you wrote in your piece, uh, let me just read this. Uh, Many in the Western world have called uh, to call not for more domestic oil and gas supply, but to wean ourselves off fossil fuels once and for all. They believe the sun and the wind shall set us free. Their calls, unfortunately, are naive. Could you pick up on that? I mean, so the amount of, we call kind of green minerals or, or things that go into, you know, batteries and renewables and that sort of thing. We, we simply don't have, first of all, it's very intense, you know, to, you know, people are thinking that the sun, we produce that domestically. No one can, can stop us from having the sun, but it takes a lot more than to just have sun shining on you to, you know, translate that into energy that you can store and then dispatch to, you know, residential consumers. So that's a very different story of how you do that. Um, but I think the idea here is that we need to we need to prepare to have far more mining in this world. And some of the you know some of those minerals need ten times more mining. A lot of them need three or four or five times more mining. We don't have the mines in the world today to meet, for example, you know the new electric vehicle targets that Canada and other countries have. The mines simply don't exist for the product that we're going to need for those batteries. And we're already seeing you know that that supply demand gap. Where, for example, the Tesla Model 3 is a third more this year than it was only a year ago. So are we then ahead of ourselves? Well, the Prime Minister says a 42% reduction in emissions from oil and gas are going to be necessary by 2030 from 2019 levels. 
are we ahead of ourselves? Are we? Is it wishful thinking as opposed to pragmatic thinking? I, I do think it is very ambitious. I think if we looked at 2040, some of those goals are, are achievable. Uh, you know, and, and I'm a proponent of reliable energy security, and I think Canada has a, a fantastic industry with very good ESG kind of values. Uh, but there is still some low-hanging fruit in the sector, uh, you know, methane reductions uh, and other things. I know one company I follow very closely, Tamarack Valley, they've, they've reduced already their emissions intensity by 28% in the last two years. So there are some things you can do. But I'll say, you know, when you get to the oil sands and, and they're talking about the technology and the carbon capture and maybe having some small modular reactors uh, to produce the energy they need to release bitumen from sand, None of that can happen by 2030 because of, you know, the, the problems that we're all facing, everyone in every aspect of our lives is, is supply chains and inflation and a shortage of labor. So there are some big tech solutions to this. I think over time we will certainly get there, uh, but it, I don't think it's possible by 2030. And, yeah. and just looking, you know, the bigger consideration is it, it totally ignores what's happening in the rest of the world, that people are actually demanding more Canadian oil and gas right now. Well, exactly. And uh, it is a source of, uh, would be a source of great income to this country to play for, pay for our social programs and our health care system if we were bringing that money into into Canada because the oil and the, the resources are going to be sold anyway. And you point out when it comes to the mining aspect of things, China and Russia are the ones that are going to benefit. Yeah, we need to do this very carefully. I think Canada needs to be a, a much bigger supplier of these resources. And where I think the liberals, I think, you know, in, even in the oil sector, everyone's on side with reducing emissions intensity. But when the liberals come up with signs like a, a, a cap um, or reducing it at this level, that is not consistent with Canada playing a bigger role in providing energy, you know, to a very hungry world that needs that energy. Um, and so I think we need to look at making sure that the Canadian barrel is the lowest emissions barrel, is a very responsible barrel, but putting in these emissions reductions and caps simply means that there will be less Canadian product on the global market. And, and Canadians are hurting. People are hurting right now. Inflation is up. The um, consumer price index is up. Uh, cost of food is up. The questions are questions about food and energy security. This may not be the best time to start to run targets past people who are just trying to get through their day. I do think it's tone deaf. And obviously in Canada, people are hurting. I was up in one northern community the other, the other week, um, and people were literally using wood stoves and candles because they could not afford, you know, the, the natural gas connection. In fact, they had, you know, were in arrears. People, it was an indigenous community. People in arrears lost their connection. But I want your listeners to also consider that if things are bad in Canada, where we have, you know, bountiful resources, cheap, cheap renewable energy, all these great new renewable sources, in other parts of the world, I mean, I mean, this is, you know, this is a humanitarian crisis. We are having blackouts for 10 hours a day. Um, the cost of food has never been higher in the world. And here's a startling statistic is that in 2020, the percentage of global GDP we spent on energy was 4%. This year, it's going to be 13%. That's $8.5 trillion that, that the average, you know, that people are spending more on energy than they would otherwise if only we had reliable supply. That's massive. Yeah, think of what you could do with eight and a half trillion dollars on on education and healthcare oh, I, I and, and health. It's, it's preposterous. I understand. And it's not You're... because we have less oil and coal and gas. It's simply because we artificially restricted the supply. Well, as you write uh, in your piece, Canada did not leverage its tremendous oil and gas resources into any kind of coherent energy security policy 
that would have allowed it to advance its interests and values on the world stage. Mistakes were made, and the consequences are being laid bare this month. Well, and let's consider that we, I mean, this isn't theoretical. This is happening in real time. We've seen how Russia used its, its resources yes. uh, as a hammer against Europe. We see Iran do that in its negotiations. We see Venezuela do it with its sanctions. Uh, we've seen Iraq do it. Canada has the same, you know, we're the, we're the fourth largest exporter in the world. We have that same oil and gas, but we export 99% of our oil to the United States and 100% of our natural gas to the United States. So we have no way to use this as geopolitical leverage outside of our relationship with the United States. We're just, and, and you know, we let ourselves become basically an asterisk to their foreign policy, to their energy policy. So going forward, if, if we think Canadian values are something worth promoting, then, then let's start, you know, using our endowment of natural resources to be that reliable supplier to our allies and to not let autocratic regimes, you know, have the control that they've had. So the question, the last question then is this. Do you think we will? Uh, <laughs> there's nothing, you know, even despite the events we've seen in Ukraine and Russia and the energy crisis in Europe and Asia, I haven't heard anything different from the liberals this emissions reduction plan suggests to me that a light bulb has not gone off on the global side on the energy security side at the same time i can imagine that when prime minister trudeau goes to europe they're asking him anything but how can we get more oil how can we get more gas how can we get you more uranium how can we get more wheat every conversation he's having with his allies how do we get more natural resources from canada onto the market and so either either the liberals are going to have to figure out in the next three years but this problem isn't going away. We have huge supply and demand gaps in minerals, in, in, in grains, in oil seeds, in oil and gas, and everything. And so if you know, the liberals don't figure out, the next government's going to have to figure it out. The world is still paying attention to what happened on a stage in Los Angeles during the Academy Awards last Sunday evening when Will Smith went up on stage and slapped Chris Rock in the face after Chris Rock made the remark about Will Smith's wife. Professor Robert Thompson is the director of the Blyer Center for Television and Popular Culture at the University of Syracuse. He's one of the true experts on popular culture and the entertainment world generally. Bob, thanks for joining us. What's your, what's your personal takeaway from this? Well, I think uh, it was a really bad joke. Uh, it wasn't very nice. Uh, I also think it was a very, very, very bad response. Um, what I find so interesting is it's Saturday. It's almost a week after the Oscars. Generally, the Oscars would be old news uh, uh, six days um, on. Uh, yet still, in spite of all the other big news that's going on, as you've been pointing out, uh, this keeps on developing. Uh, Will Packer, the producer, gave us more information about how the joke was unscripted. The LAPD uh, was ready to escort um, um, Will Smith out of the uh, building. Chris Rock said no. Uh, Will Smith has now responded. Then we get the development that he's resigned from uh, the Academy, which doesn't mean he, his Oscar will be taken away. Even Sean Hannity on Fox was spending a lot of time talking about this. Yeah, it's just taken on a life of its own. And perhaps it's because of the incident, perhaps it's because of all the ancillary activities that are happening around the world. We need something else to talk about. But I just was thinking, and I, I, left, I think I left this on my voicemail to you, the Oscars have recently, in well, the last number of years anyway, become more of a free-for-all as far as MCs are concerned. Ricky Gervais doesn't hold back. 
and Chris Rock was always going to be challenging. Is 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 this an issue for you that the Oscars have gone from being what they were twenty years ago to what they are today? Well, I don't think it's just the Oscars. I mean, Ricky Gervais went on that long string on the Golden Globes, of course. Everybody remembers uh, that. But I think it's been uh, uh, what's considered um, acceptable in culture in general. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. You and I have talked many times before about when I was growing up, television was very nice, at least primetime TV, but it was also filled with flying nuns and talking horses and witches and my mother the car and genies and all that kind of thing. Uh, uh, there was a time when pretty much everything you watched on primetime television was appropriate for an eight-year-old. I'm kind of glad that's not the case uh, uh, anymore, but that has collateral effects when you begin to, when a medium begins to open up to uh, a much wider palette of uh, language and content and subjects and all the rest. So the Oscar ceremony and the MCs and what's been going on there over the last number of years, essentially a reflection of what's happening in the entertainment world generally, because we don't have Mr. Ed anymore. No, that's right. Uh, uh, Mr. uh, Ed? uh, Who knows? With all the reboots, uh, we may have him soon. So, um, I I wouldn't count that out. (laughs) But uh, if we had a Mr. Ed coming back, I suspect he'd uh, uh, probably speak in much spicier language. Yeah, a horse, a horse with a vocabulary. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Bob, what's the reaction and the response? Leap out uh, words coming out of a horse—that'd be kind of interesting. (laughs) Yes, indeed, you're going to give people ideas. Um, what's the reaction and the response from Hollywood, its stars, the film the world, the Academy, uh, and Will Smith has resigned from the Academy, of course. What's the response? What's the reaction? Right. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it, uh, for the first 24 hours, I think there was a real sense of, uh, of confusion. Of course, on one level, you've got uh, a prehistoric night in the Oscars, given the awards that uh, uh, were given out, given who was producing the uh, Oscars. Um, it really looked like some movement had been made uh, since Oscar So White, which was not that many uh, many years ago. So this would have been a notable uh, uh, Oscars, and I think we would, be, we would have been talking a lot more about uh, that thing. This, however, completely overshadowed all of it. The other thing, I think, is the Academy is trying to respond, and we're getting a little more detail now about exactly what was going on, but... The fact that uh, uh, you know someone was able to get up onto the stage, uh, assault somebody, and that was a pretty uh, substantial assault, and then go back and embrace the very person who got the award for the category that the slap took place on, and then go on and have a long speech at the end when he won, not being played off. Um, uh, I think there was a lot of response in the industry and elsewhere that uh, the Academy really kind of underreacted uh, to this kind of thing. And then now we're hearing that's changing. They've got an investigation going. I suspect uh, uh, Will Smith is going to have some kind of uh, action taken against him by the Academy, although he may have preempted some of that uh, by his um, resignation. But I think the biggest impact we will see on this is going to be the perimeter of the stage in these awards show is now going to be much more carefully monitored. 
it was always really hard to get into these uh, uh, events because it was heavy security filled with famous people. But once you're in the event, it isn't hard to storm the stage. We've seen it done before Will Smith did it on Sunday night. And I suspect we're not going to see any of that anymore. This idea of, you know, it was what Kanye or Ye and Taylor Swift, uh, we've seen this before. And Will Smith, who was sitting right in the front row, had no problem getting up there and doing what he did. So my guess is we're going to see a much more patrolled perimeter on every award show. Yeah, you know, I've, I've thought from time to time when I've watched people at some of the award shows, I don't watch them all that often, but when I do... I, I thought, yeah, some some of them don't look all that steady necessarily, and if something sets them off, there's really nothing to stop them from just going up and taking over the microphone, and using it as their platform. Yeah, and and it's happened before, and and you're right. Uh, in in those big rooms filled with uh, 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 celebrities who have got you know their egos and they're used to attention and all the rest of it, uh, you've you've got potential, all kinds of potential problems waiting to happen and we saw one of those on sunday yeah how does this end bob well i think uh, uh probably i mean if, if can you imagine if chris rock had not done what he did which he kind of uh, sloughed this off he said no i don't want to press charges he said no i don't want uh, will will smith to be you know taken out of the uh, room can you imagine if we would have seen lapd actually Taking Will Smith, I, I don't know, in cuffs, uh, it could have gone any number of ways, um, during the Oscars on Sunday night, that would have been an extraordinary uh, moment, and it would have been, uh, there's a million different interpretations that would have gone into that. The fact that it didn't um, uh, means that I suspect Will Smith is going to get some kind of punishment, or whatever we want to call it, from the uh, Academy. He's already resigned uh, from it. Whether he keeps the Oscar or not, I'm not sure is uh, all that relevant. Uh, I don't think his career is going to end by any stretch of the uh, imagination. So I don't think this is going to have enormous uh, impact uh, on anything, except what I already talked about. I think people are going to be much more careful about who gets on stage. You know, I had the same thought. Uh, it's got a lot of attention now, but it'll fade away fairly quickly. It'll be a trivia question fairly soon because we've had some some situations that have been extremely disturbing. I'm just thinking about Michael Vick and the dog fighting. Well, he came back and started as a quarterback in the NFL again. So uh, people's memories are are not all that long, but uh, but this one well, certainly has created a lot of attention. All that long, I think. In the end, a lot of people just. Uh, uh, you know, take it as the the, the, the price. They, 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 I don't want to say uh, that they don't care, but uh, they're willing to overlook it. I mean, we, we, we've seen that in all kinds of celebrities who have gotten away with all kinds of stuff. And then sometimes, eventually, it reaches an overflow point. Bill Cosby, so many people knew what was going on with him uh, for decades, not just years. And eventually, a series of events made that no longer uh, tenable. But, uh, uh, you know, people want to watch football, and they accept some of the horrible things that the NFL has a history of being involved in. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. 
Have a great weekend.